Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. In June of the year 2000, my family and I went on vacation, uh, just as we do every year, to a timeshare up in uh, New Hampshire, just a little way south of the White Mountains. And um, I did like I usually do after I get there, settle in. I went out on the screen porch and uh, sat down there. I, I, I went out there and I looked out across the 10th fairway of the golf course that runs through there. Big, huge pine trees and off in the distance, the mountains. And uh, this is my place on vacation where I will sit and, and spend time with God. And that, that year I was particularly troubled. A lot of uncertainty before me. I didn't know what to make of things. Uh, the pastor of our church had resigned the first Sunday in March of that year. Uh, the church had asked me to become the interim pastor, which I was, had done and was doing. And I didn't know what God wanted me to do. Um, Glenda and I had already decided a year, year and a half before that, that we needed to move on to become a senior pastor someplace. We were in the process of doing that. We had visited churches, preached places. And uh, at the same time, the church I had been in for 18 years needed a pastor. But I didn't know if I was supposed to be here or not. The reality was this, I couldn't see it. In other words, as I thought about me being the pastor of this church, I, I couldn't see it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, when I say that, I, I just couldn't see what that was going to be like or how that was going to work. Um, so I just talked to the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want us to do? We need to know something, you know, go, stay, whatever. We've already settled that issue. We'll do whatever you want us to do. And... Uh, so I did what I've done a, a number of times over the years when I find myself troubled and not knowing what to do is just open the word of God and begin reading. And of all things, I chose on a vacation to read the book of Isaiah. That's the longest book in the Bible. And I don't remember the exact time frame, uh, but over, I'm sure, two or three days there, I read, was reading it and remembered a lot of stuff I'd read before and um, getting a sense of, you know, how God worked in Israel's life. And first 42 chapters. And it was just, it was fine, right? But I was still in the same place I had been when I started reading. And then I came to chapter 43. Down towards the end of the chapter. And... I can count on these two hands easily. In fact, I don't need all of both hands here to count the number of times in my life where I have very, very clearly heard God speak. In other words, we have his direction all the time, right? And we have the Holy Spirit's prompting us. But I'm talking about real clarity about what God was saying. When I talk about hearing God, if, you know, if you're new to us, understand, I don't mean we heard, I heard a voice with my ears, okay? 
I don't mean that. I don't mean anything weird at all. All I mean is there was this, all of a sudden this great clarity about what I was thinking that was definitely God. Okay? And so what I want to do is, is turn to that passage of Scripture, and I'll talk to you about it, elaborate on this a little bit more as we, after we read it here. Isaiah chapter 43, and if you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to take one of those Bibles under the chairs there and follow along with us. Uh, we're going to be on page 834 in that Bible, page 834. Isaiah 43. And in this chapter, God's talking about being Israel's redeemer and how he's going to redeem them and restore them, how he's going to work in their lives after they've turned to him. And then verse 18 says this, do not remember the former things. And by the way, this is God talking to his people. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me the jackals and the ostriches because I give waters in the wilderness and, and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. And as I read that and finished with verse 21, what I got as clear as can be from the Lord is that's what I want to do. That's what I plan to do in Temple Baptist Church, which is what we were called at the time. I think I better read that again, right? But clear as a bell that this is what he intended to do in this church. Um, well, let me, let me talk to you. So as I sat there and thought about this and, and pondered what God was saying to me there, and by the way, this is written about Israel, right? That's, that's the interpretation here and God's people and we can apply it. But I want you to know is that when we open our hearts up to the Lord and say, God, speak to me from your word, and, and we get that, this is about Israel, it's about his people, but God will also speak to us personally from it. Not in a way that ever contradicts it, but a way that's consistent with it. And so here's what the Lord was speaking to me about in our church situation. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. I got a very clear sense from the Lord that what he was going to do here was not going to be more of the same. It wasn't going to be just based on doing better what we had already been doing. Okay, it wasn't that kind of a thing. In fact, he says it here, I will do a new thing. A new thing. And I didn't really know what that new thing was. I didn't know what to think about that, but I got very clear. So God says, I'm going to do something new there, something fresh there, something alive there, something new. And this says, behold, or now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? And it's kind of like he's saying, hey, it's going to become obvious to you. It's going to become evident. And not just evident what the new thing is, but evident that God is the one doing it. I tell you, I gotta tell you today, um, I would have said those years, uh, those words in the first 18 years of my ministry time saying, oh, it's so important that, that we know that God is doing what's being done. Uh, but man, it's just taken on such a different meaning for me. Deeper, more real, more crucial. 
that God is doing what's being done. And but he, he said here that it's going to be evident to you. He's just going to, you're going to know it. Can't you see it? It's going to be obvious. It's going to spring forth and you'll know it. And then these, this next verse and a half, I've got to be real open with you. I, I didn't really understand what it meant in our church as such, but except in a general sense that God was going to you know, meet spiritual needs. It says, I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. Okay, so I just kind of put that on hold. But then it says this, this people I have formed for myself. God just reminded me so clearly. He will do this in any church, but he said, I'm doing it in this church, that I am building this church, God says, for me, for my honor, for my glory, for my purposes to, to accomplish it. And so it tells us that God is the one who's working, and God is the one who's working it together to be what he wants it to be. And we need to cooperate with him in that. And he says, they shall declare my praise. I can tell you, that phrase really gave me a sense of destiny for our church. That if we'll cooperate with God and, and, and go along with what he, he leads us to do, that this church will bring honor and glory to the Lord. This church will be known for him. This church will be known for his truth. And probably even huger than that, this church will be known for his love, his love for all of mankind and his love for us as his people. And so I read this. I said very clear to me, and for the first time, I could see myself being the pastor of the church. I, I could see, okay, God is gonna do this, and, and it became clear to me. Now, I still didn't know if I was supposed to be the pastor of this church or not, but I could see it for the first time. And I came back from vacation, and I talked to the pulpit committee, and, and said, you know what, I, I'm interested in, in candidating for the church if, if you're interested in me doing it. Because if you guys think, you know, I need to move on, that's fine, tell me. I'm not, you know, I won't put my name in and create a division over it. Uh, but they came back a couple weeks later and said, yes, we want you to candidate. And then the first Sunday in August, the church called me to be the pastor. And then God started doing what he said he was going to do. And the first thing that really stood out to us is this. You know, when he says, not the old, I'm going to do a new thing. It's going to be obvious that I am the one doing it. The most significant new thing that came, came uh, about a year later, probably. And it wasn't a new way of doing church. It wasn't a, you know, a new method. It wasn't a new strategy. It wasn't new music. It wasn't any of that kind of new thing. The new thing was this. Um, my wife and I, because of the stress of what had gone on at the church, the stress of what was still happening in the church, anytime a church goes through an upheaval, you know, it's, it's challenging to everybody there because we all care and we all, we love each other and the, the, I mean, the, all this stress. It had really stressed our relationship and was affecting us. And so she and I sought out some help from uh, counselors who help people in ministry just like us. And in the process of going through that with them, it was just, it's prep work you do, and then we spent two long, intensive days with them down in the, the mountains of Georgia. 
And what we came away with, beyond dealing with the issues that were before us, we came away with a new understanding of the gospel. And that's just not a new information revelation. It's all there, and we even knew the words before. I think you can relate to what I'm talking about, Dave. That a new way of understanding what had actually happened to us because, you know, our tendency before was, you know, to do, you, you need to do what's right and you need to, to live by the Bible and, and you gotta become almost extreme in that and you keep trying harder and you're trying to please God and, and do what he said and accomplish his work and you do, do. And, well, let me just share with you. You've, you've heard me preach this. It's, it's come out so many times now. And that's that, before we come to, well, let me back up. What's our nature, our, our, our makeup? We are spirit, soul, and body, right? Three primary parts to us. First Thessalonians 5 says that. Spirit, soul, and body. Before we come to Christ, our spirits are dead to God. We're dead to God. We just don't, we have a relationship. We can know about him, but we are spiritually dead to him. Well, when we hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit works in our lives and we come to understand that we've sinned against God and that our sins have separated us from him, it's made us spiritually dead. And, and we understand then that Jesus is who the Bible says he is and that he, he died and paid the penalty for our sins and rose again. And, and we understand it. And then by faith, we receive Christ as Savior. We get personally, once and for all, connected with Christ. What happens in our spirits? Our spirits that were once dead do what? Come to life. God himself has moved in and we are now, the Bible says, new creations in him. It's, it's all new there. And, and now, in other words, deep down in my spirit, I became righteous and holy and loving and unselfish and desiring to serve and all of those things were changed deep down inside. Now, in my mind, my will, my emotion, my soul, there was still a lot of stuff now that needs to be changed and fixed and I do need to learn to live differently. But here's the difference, and it is huge, and we talked about it, I think, in this past year. If you view yourself as I am just a sinner, that's all I ever was, that's all I'll ever be, and yes, God has saved me, thank you he saved me, but I am a sinner, I am bent towards sin, I always wanna do what's wrong, it's just the way it is, and I gotta fight it all the time. That doesn't help you. But if the truth is, and it is, based on what the Bible says, if the truth is, is that when I received Christ, he changed my identity. He changed the nature deep down inside of me. No longer is my identity and my root nature a sinner. I am now a saint. I'm a holy one. And I'm learning not to sin. I'm learning not to think in sinful ways. I'm learning to, to be more like Christ and, and so to live out of this truth and that's a whole different approach, isn't it? It's a life-giving approach. The other way, it's not a life-giving approach. It just sucks the life out of you and you always try harder, try harder, try harder. And so when you begin to understand the reality of what Christ has done, you begin to let his life live out through you, it becomes very life-giving. Life-giving in your own life, life-giving in your relationships, life-giving in how you do ministry. You know, no more legalism, you gotta do this and this, and somehow rather measure up to be okay. Jesus was okay for us. He got it right. And then he changed us to match him. 
And the rest of our lives we live, learning to live that way. But it's so huge, so life-giving. And you think about this. Shouldn't it be life-giving? Shouldn't the gospel be life-giving? Because after all, where does our life come from? From Christ himself, and he moved in. Life-giving because Christ is our life source. Go ahead and put that next slide up if you would. Christ is our life source. And so that changed everything. Changed how we did ministry. Changed how we viewed the involvement of the body of Christ. Because you know, I know something about you now when I preach to you. That's different than before. It used to be before that, that when I preached, you know, oh God, I gotta preach and I gotta try to get these people to, to see it and, and I gotta try to get them to change their minds and want to do what's right and I gotta somehow or other motivate that and give them enough information, maybe build a box around them where they can, all this stuff. But you know what I know now when I preach to you? Those of you who have come to Christ, which is most of you here, I know that deep down inside you want to be like Christ. I know that about you. I know that when the Holy Spirit you know, takes the word of God and speaks to you, that it stirs you. And yeah, you may have struggles in your life and you aren't, it's not getting out there in your life like it ought to, but I believe something different about you today that's life-giving. It makes all the difference in the world in so many areas. Well, God has given us a mission as a church. Okay, a mission. And that's what the Bible tells us we should be doing as a church. And so as the pastor of the church and as the leader of the church, we, we had a, a leadership team at the time that we worked with. It was a, all the pastors, which was just Dave and me at that point, and then our deacons, and then all of our wives. We, we met together, prayed, talked, you know, what's God want for our church? And, and they worked with me to help me know, you know, to, to find out what God was wanting us to do. And so... We talked about our mission. The mission is what God says we're supposed to do. Churches are supposed to preach the gospel, right? Churches are supposed to teach believers. Churches are supposed to baptize believers. Churches are supposed to take the Lord's Supper. Churches are supposed to support missionaries. I mean, all of those kinds of things that the Bible says we're supposed to do. But that's, that's a long list. In fact, we have a mission statement in our Constitution. You can read it if you want. It says the kind of things. And a, when we talk about our mission, this is what every church in every place, at every time in history, all should be doing. In other words, a church in China, a church in Africa, our church here, the mission is what God says we should be doing. So we all should be doing those things. Now, how do we talk about that though? How do we help people to understand it? And so we worked for probably a year, and, and Everett, you remember this, I think. Um, and at the end of this year, so we, we just had a much clearer understanding. Here's how, here, here's what our mission is, here's how we talk about it, and here's how we use that to shape what we do. And we came up with three things that we do. Have you heard me say that before? Three things that we do. So if you know them, Say them along with me. If you don't, just listen and hopefully you'll come to know them, okay? Because these three things are what we do. Everything falls under one of them. The first one is this. We surrender to the Lord. The second one, we grow to be like the Lord. And the third one, we tell others about the Lord. Surrender, grow, and tell. 
And when we got to this point, Evan was real excited about it because he liked it because the initials were SGT. And SGT is an abbreviation for what? Sergeant. This is what tells us what to do. The sergeant tells you what to do. But now we have some clarity about how do we talk about this thing. And actually, we ended up changing our schedule some and how we did it to be effective at accomplishing those things. Uh, now, so the mission of our church, our church, in church, is what God says. Here's what we do. We all should be surrendering, growing, and telling, and then all the, the activities that, that connect with those things. But there are also things that every church has to determine. How does this look? How do we carry this out? How does this look where we are at this time in history? Because how you do those things changes based on what culture you're in, what's going on in the world around you. The things that you do don't change, but how you do change them. How you look at those things, maybe. Even how you talk about those things. And this is typically called a vision, having a vision for the ministry. That's not a magical word, it's not a, you know, a Bible thing as such, but it's the idea of being able to look at, at, at for us at the time in Temple Baptist Church in 2007, you know, how is Temple Baptist Church supposed to be doing these things and what would guide us in knowing that? The vision statement. And that fell squarely on my shoulders, me before God saying, God, what does this look like? How do we do this? And other people could help with their thoughts and ideas and input, but it really fell on me and, and I was coming up blank. Time after time after time after time, week after week, month after month. Until I really reached the point where I was wondering, am I supposed to be the guys here? Because once again, I, I don't feel like I can see what I need to see. And I was thinking maybe I should move on. I didn't know. Um, I read lots of, of books related to um, being not just a pastor, but being a leader. I, I read general books on leadership. I read books on communication skills, public speaking, preaching. Uh, I read books on just, you know, administrative kind of stuff sometimes in organizational and meetings. I mean, I read lots of stuff just trying to continually improve and understanding. And I remember uh, back uh, about a year after we came out with talking about Surrender, Grow, Tell, pretty much, you know, kind of just set the vision thing on the side burner because it wasn't there. And I remember sitting at my desk in my office at home, and I was reading, I was reading uh, some book, I don't remember what it was, on, on leadership, you know, and planning and how to lead some pe people, and, and one of the things that it talks about setting some goals, and I was reading that chapter, and it's, it's all kind of stuff I'd read before and heard before, and it just wasn't capturing my attention. And so I closed the book up. And I got up to leave the office. And as I stood up to leave the office, all of a sudden it became very, very clear to me, it's not time to go. And I sat back down in the office. And I pulled a pad of paper out and a pen. And... It's one of those times again, I can count on the hands, that God just very, very clearly showed me what I needed to see. And I wrote down 
these words, that in the next 20 years, we envision everyone in the greater Worcester area having a genuine opportunity to experience a personal, growing, and overflowing relationship with Christ. And then I continued beyond our area and wrote, we also envision an ever-increasing number of people in our state, our nation, and the whole world having the same opportunity as we supported others who were out there doing the same. So let's go back to that first section there. This is what God put in my heart and mind for us to do as a church. And it's not revelation, okay? It's not equal with scripture. It isn't like this. It's just that this became very clear to me that this is how we need to look at what we do as a church. We're carrying out the mission, but how do we make decisions about how we do that now in our area at this time in history? How do we do that? Well, what we do is we look and say, okay, if we are, how should we do this? Or, or if an opportunity comes our way and we're trying to decide whether to do it or not, will this provide people with a genuine opportunity to know Christ? either to know him for the first time or to, to grow and to learn more about him so they can become a, more like him as they know him better or know him well enough that they can talk to other people about him. But does it provide a genuine opportunity to know Christ? And if it doesn't, then we say it might be a great thing to do, but it's not for us to do. Not that, not that way. And if it does provide a great opportunity and God shows us to go on it, we, we move on. And this has tremendously changed how we make decisions around here. Having that understanding, because you, you know there are an awful lot of things you can do that are nice things and good things, but you can't do them all. And so this helps us know, pick and choose, which do we do, which do we not do. So we define the greater Worcester area as being 31 communities, uh, the farthest out on those is about a 40 minute drive from here. Uh, it's about a half a million people. And we set a time on it, 20 years. And so that fall, September of 2008, on September 21st, we, we you know, brought this to the church and said, here's where we believe God is taking us with this. Here's what it looks like in our church. Um, and 20 years later will be September 17th, 2028 which is why we began calling it Vision 2028. Okay, that's just how we refer to it. Now, for the last eight years, we worked on Vision 2028 by working really hard to get our church to do effectively what it does so that they, we've tried to remove as many obstacles as possible, you know, for people from the time they, they drive by and then drive in and come in and, and, and how they are met and greeted and, and, and what happens for their children and, and how we interact with them in here and, and how we share the gospel. I mean, all these things, trying to be as effective as possible. Still lots of work to do, but yet we've made huge strides in that area, okay, of becoming effective at uh, providing people with an opportunity to know Christ, to know him better. We have 12 years left. In some ways that seems like a lot, in other ways it doesn't. 
But we have 12 years left, so what do we do with the next 12 years? Starting now. <laughs> well, the Lord led me back to this passage of scripture, so let's look at it again. Gave me some understanding. Again, we already talked about verse 18. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Now, these verses here. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people my chosen. And once again, it isn't like I didn't know the meaning of these words, but I just tell you what God has, has put in my heart and, and he has confirmed it through a number of you as I've talked with you and prayed with you. There are thousands upon thousands of people around us who are living in the wilderness without any way of understanding how to get to Christ. They're living in a spiritual desert. They do not have the life that God has for them. Spiritually dry places. Let's talk about this people a little bit. Here's who those people are. Out there today, right now, this, today, getting close to noon here, there are, uh, there's a man out there who, uh, because of you know, maybe not learning how to live his life the way he should. Uh, his marriage has fallen apart. Uh, he's, he's estranged from his kids. His financial situation is, is not doing good. His health is being affected by it. And he, so he's begun medicating his pain through addictions. He's in a spiritually dry place. He's in a desert place in the wilderness and has no way to, to see or get to what he needs in Christ. There's a woman out there who's living in an abusive situation, abusive relationship emotionally, even physically sometimes. And, and sometimes she thinks she ought to leave, but she's scared about what that would mean. And so she chooses what she knows, even though it's not good, because she's afraid of what she doesn't know. She doesn't know how to escape. She's in a spiritual desert in the wilderness. And we have the life-giving water that she needs, don't we? We have it. There are kids out there who are raising themselves. The parents are there, but the parents are so messed up with all their own problems that the kids are raising themselves and they're into things that are harming them and they're building walls in their lives that it's gonna take them years to try to, to disassemble. Uh, they are in a spiritual desert, in the wilderness, in need of the living water that we have to share with them. Do you agree those people are out there today? And it's not just the people whose lives are all falling apart. We could see the family that uh, seems like it has it all together, you know, doing well financially, healthy. They're, they're staying together. The kids are, you know, doing what the kids are supposed to do. And, and it looks really good. But in reality, they do not have any life inside. They're spiritually dead. They're in a dry desert place in the wilderness. And we have the life-giving water that they need. People out there who are very religious, 
going through all the motions, trying to somehow rather earn a right relationship with God and, and hoping that their good outweighs their bad and all the things that are deceitful and leave them with no relationship with God. They're in a spiritually dry place. They're in a wilderness with no way to get where they need to go. They don't, we have what they need. We have the life-giving water to give to them, to take to them. It's like we are this swimming pool, right? It's filled up with living water. But out there, it's a desert and a wilderness. We have what they need. But you know what? What we have will never make it to them by accident. We have to make conscious choices to do what God has said and to live our lives in a way that enables the living water to get out there. To be a church in a way that enables the living water to get out there. I want to show you a video. In the Negev Desert. Um, go ahead and show that video if you would. There we go. In the Negev Desert in the southern part of Israel. Uh, is a place where it's dry almost all the time, the desert. But... Every once in a while, sometimes every few years, it rains so much in the mountains that this dry riverbed begins to fill up. And just like that, the water comes. Pretty amazing thing, isn't it? Dry, desert, virtually no life there. And then the water comes. Into the desert, into the, by the way, this is, the area that the Bible calls the wilderness. But what happens in a desert, dry desert area when water comes into it? What happens? Life comes, doesn't it? Life comes with it. Plants grow up. Seeds that have been dormant in the ground begin to germinate and take root and come up. The animal population, the wildlife population flourishes. People are able to take advantage of it and, and even do some irrigation and, and grow things uh, and, and their livestock. They can water their livestock and on and on and go. It brings life. And as I read this passage, it's those out there, it says the wild bees, the jackals, what he's talking about is people who are far from God. People who don't know God, people who are stuck in the desert and spiritually dry and, and um, no, no road, no way to get to where they need to go. But God wants to bring water there. He wants to bring his life there. And how does he want to do it? Through us. See, what we just envisioned it, that's what I envision us being in our communities. Us being out there and bringing that life, flowing life into it. And so I believe these verses here about, you know, a, a road in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, so that these people, you know, come to know him. They are able to drink and get life and, and become his children and, and they will be so grateful, it says. God's way of doing that is through his church. It is through us. So here's the key word. 
presence. Presence. Here's the key, that's the key word, presence. That we provide a life-giving presence. Now see, here we are in this church, right? Is, is the gospel available to people here? Is this life available to people here? Do they have an opportunity to have it? Do they have a genuine opportunity to know it? Boy, I would say to you, if they do not know it's available to them, then they don't have a genuine opportunity. And as long as church for us is inside these four walls, they will not have a genuine opportunity. And so we have to begin to think, how do we move out into the desert? How do we move out into the wilderness? Me individually, you individually, and then us together as a church. How do we move out there so that life can come? Well, one thing we have to do is we really have to challenge our thinking on this. I mean, I think we all know this, the answer already, but we don't, don't park on it like we need to because you need to understand this, that the reason we come here is to prepare to go out there. It's nice to come here, isn't it? To be around Christians and encouraged and life and the word and worship and, and oh, it's so refreshing. The pool's nice, isn't it? But God just makes really clear in his word that the reason we come here, we get to do all this stuff, but it's to prepare to go out there. And we need to figure out how do we do that? Because we need to be present out there in a way that brings life. So what, what do we do about it? What do we do next? What's gonna be different? What a change? Well, let me go through this quickly here. Um, we need a more conscious awareness that we need to move out into the world around us, okay? Consciously aware of that, remembering that we come here to prepare to go out there. So when you are done here today, you are going out there to be life givers. So we're considering some ways to do this and we ask you to join us in prayer for the Lord's direction and creativity in doing this and then putting actions to ideas. Uh, one you already saw today is an idea of trunk or treat. Trunk or treat gives us an opportunity to be, we're still on the property, I know, but nonetheless, what are we doing? We are purposefully reaching out to the community, trying to make a connection with people in the community so they can become, ha have an opportunity to know Christ. We wanna do that. Uh, here's an idea that, that uh, just came to me a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know, we're gonna trust God for his leadership, but how, how many of you know what this hill out here is called? What's the name of this hill? It's Dead Horse Hill. When we were figuring names of the church, we said, should we call it Dead Horse Hill Baptist? No. Um, but how about hosting an annual Dead Horse Hill 5K? And over time, that, that could build and grow and, and we have a presence, a known presence in the community. Yeah, we're we supposed to do that or not. I already have some people excited about that today. We'll see if God wants us to do that. Uh, you know, there are, are children who don't have enough food to eat, even in our community, in your communities. And the school has programs for that where they provide them with, you know, food. They give them the food. They don't have to pay for it and stuff. But those kids leave Friday afternoon and don't come back till Monday. And they don't really have enough food to eat on the weekend. You know, Maybe we could put together backpacks 
you know, with food, basic food kinds of things in it that the kids could take home with them for the weekend. You know, with a, a note from us, hey, Life Source Church cares, you know, let us know if we can help you. We don't have to, we, we go to school and the school hands those to the kids who need them. I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to do that either. You see what I'm trying to say though? We gotta figure out how do we get out there to bring, like we watched, for that life-giving flow to go out there, to have a presence in the community. Maybe it's life groups helping neighbors. Or maybe it's some other idea that God's gonna put in one of your hearts. So we, we need to have that outward focus. And, and we're gonna continue with the opportunities here and piggyback off of uh, these connections, our fall outreach Sunday, uh, Christmas Sunday, Christmas Eve, two Christmas Eve services this way, this year, by the way, our Easter services. You know, it's, it's something, if, if you invite someone, hey, I'm gonna invite you to this at our church, we're having this, and they go, oh, okay. But if they see that and go, oh, you're the church that does this, you know, out in the community. Man, have we just leveraged those relationships to reach people for Christ. And then we need to help start churches. We've already been doing that some. We need help, but here's the deal. We need to, we're going to have to in the next 12 years start churches. Boy, is that going to be a God thing. And then we need to do a much better job. I'm almost done. Hang in here. We need to do a much better job of following up with the people God does bring us. Okay? A more purposeful job of helping them get connected with Christ, understanding what that relationship is, getting them connected with other Christians in the church, uh, helping them to know what they, how they need to look at things and do things to succeed in the Christian life. What a lot of us would call we need to disciple people. It's really all discipling, but sometimes we put that label on this. And here's the deal. We as pastors need you to pray with us about this. How do we do this? And we need to figure out how to do it sooner rather than later. We need you to pray with us about the most effective way to do this. And we need a lot of you to be willing to participate in doing that. Helping it to happen. Because these Christians need to get solid and growing so that they can help us take the life out of the building. And then so the idea is we need to engage on purpose in making roads in the wilderness so we can take that life-giving gospel to the dry spiritual desert that so many people are living in. And so we have to have a presence out there. But know this, as we go to, to have this presence outside of the building, it has to be a we thing. <laughs> it's not a pastor thing. It's not us coming up with ideas that we try to get you to do. It has to be a we thing. We have to say, yeah, this is what we have to do and we work together to do it. Figure that out and do it. And then we, so we not only have to come together, we have to come together in prayer because this really is a God thing, isn't it? If God isn't in it, we're wasting our time. And so we need to pray together and, and we're gonna be, we'll schedule some times off and on going forward for both of these kinds of things. The, 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 how do we do this as a we thing? What's God want us to do and how to do it? And then let's get together and pray that God would show himself strong as he's promised to do. And they will be eternally grateful that we did.
And so I want to say to you, I commit myself to you in this. To, to say we have to, to move outside the building and have a presence for Christ outside the walls somehow, some way. Will you come along? Will you join me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Again, how you speak to us from it. And Lord, I pray that as we've had a different kind of sermon today, that, that we would nonetheless hear from you, hear the challenge from you that, that we need to, to make those roads in the wilderness and, and, and go out there and be your life-giving presence in the community so that many more might come to know you, so we can provide a genuine opportunity for all the people you've put in our area. Please stir our hearts about this. And we look forward to seeing what you do as you keep your promises to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you very much for your attention here. Starting next Sunday, we're going to be in the book of Acts for several weeks in a new sermon series entitled Bold, Bold. God bless you and you're dismissed.